are 13 and older, you can go in your Bibles to James 4. If you're new to our newer to our church, the uh, seven through twelve year olds will be back in sometime whenever their music practice is done. So don't let that distract you, and we will try to. I'll let them know that we're to be in their Bibles and and everything, so you'll know they're know they're back in. If you were in Sunday school the last, um, uh, the last um, this past summer, we had the topic of pursuing peace and how to handle conflict. I don't know of anyone that would um, say, I just love conflict. It may appear that some people enjoy it uh, and they seem to thrive on an argument. But when you really get down to it, uh, they don't really enjoy conflict. They may endure it, or this may be their way to the top uh, to win uh, and uh, try to uh, show their uh, superiority in conflict. But as a pastor the last uh, 14 years, uh, some of the hardest times in ministry are with those in conflict. And sometimes they're in conflict with me, and uh, they disagreed with what I did as a youth pastor, and I got emails from parents. I had people in my office as a youth pastor and tried to uh, avoid conflict uh, as best as I could, uh, but deal with it uh, because it's always going um, always to be there. But what is difficult with others in conflict, and I sat, uh, I could tell you stories of teenagers that um, did not want to live in their home any longer and had extreme conflict with their parents to the point that the police had to be called on a number of occasions. And uh, you probably uh, know of someone that they've had to call the police because of domestic uh, conflict, and uh, the police will tell you those are the most dangerous calls that they go on uh, whenever there's conflict in homes. And so there is um, a, an incredible amount of conflict in our in our culture, and really in every culture. Uh, and when we don't deal with conflict well, uh, it just grows. I think this goes well with chapter three and the tongue. And how does conflict and the tongue go together? Well, the tongue is, is, is a little more narrow than our, our passage today. Um, and if you don't have God's wisdom, let's go back to James 3. If you don't have God's wisdom and, and merely have earthly wisdom, you will have in verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. They'll be boasting and they'll be speaking uh, false things. Um, not things that are true about God, about ourselves, about the world we live in, about man's true problems, whatever it is. And um, verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, and it exists inside of all of us. If it's unchecked, uh, then we just have worldly wisdom, and there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's verse 16, okay? 
So building on that, if you don't handle con or don't don't get God's wisdom, conflict is is inevitable. You're going to have conflict, and every time we have conflict, we should say, "It's not supposed to be this way." It should, I should not have this much conflict with my spouse, but I do. Even the slightest little thing we get an argument about, that shouldn't happen. About how you should roll the to toothpaste tube down from the end or just squeeze it in the middle. Every spouse that I know of disagrees on that topic. Also, how to roll down cereal boxes. Do you just shove it in or do you roll it down neatly and you have had, and all they're smiling, you've had disagreements like that, but a, a thousand more about uh, where you should set your heat in your house. When do you take the AC units out? When do you turn the heat on? And, uh, and all of these kind of things uh, can be cause for conflict and have been. Um, and people have been arguing and fighting for years. Uh, you've heard that churches that have conflict over the color of carpet, that should never happen. Um, and if we, we have on our list maybe to change some things in the auditorium in the next year or two, this is our next room to renovate. You're trying to do one room at a time. You've probably seen the bathrooms and the church office and the um, fellowship hall. Everything's getting a little bit of upgrade as we have funds every year. Um, and so this room is, is, is coming. And if you really love something about this room now and you say, I hope they never change that. And if they change this, I'm going to have trouble. Somebody's going to hear about it. Okay? We can, we can have conflict over just re renovating this room. And this is just, this is just a room. This, if you read the book of Revelation, this room is going to be burned up with the rest of the world with fire, God's fire. We've got to be okay with that. We're not laying up treasure in this room in all the light fixtures and ceiling and walls and, and, uh, and carpeting and pews. That, this, is not where our, this is not the identity of our church, where we meet. The identity of our church is Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And that should never change. And when we have conflict over lighting or carpet or pews, we're missing the big picture. So James is going to ask the question, and if you are tired of James, um, let me tell you, it doesn't get easier. Okay, uh, James is going to keep uh, encouraging us to walk with the Lord and thinking like God wants us to think when we have problems with the tongue in chapter 3. We lack God's wisdom at the end of chapter 3. And now conflict. Okay, why do we have, why do I have so much conflict? You may think about your life and say, who do I have conflict with? Oh yeah, there's this neighbor, or there's this coworker, there's this family member, members, there's these in-laws, and more in-laws. All of my in-laws I have conflict with. Okay, you may be that there are people in this church that I have conflict with, and given the a person to talk to or avoid to talk to, I'm going to avoid them. You'll never see me talking to them at coffee time. I'm never going to go at their house. I'm never going to be on a committee with them. 
Well, the question is, why do I have so much conflict? And that's the question that James asks. But instead of asking why do you have so much conflict, is what causes it? Okay, if you go to the doctor and he says, you have allergies, and you don't know what it is. They're going to do allergy testing. They find out what is causing the allergic reaction, and they may do it on your arm or other places. They'll say, you have an allergy to, and my wife, or pets, animal hair. So any dogs, cats, can't have them. She knows that. Um, so what causes her allergy or allergic reaction is animal hair. We avoid that, like the plague. And if you love your dog and you have pet hair all over you when you come to church, don't expect my wife to give you a hug, even if she really likes you, because <laughs> she, she may stop breathing or have trouble breathing because of, of, of pet hair. Okay, But what causes things is where we should be. And this is how wise people think, right? Because James is going to help us to be wise and mature. Unwise, immature people, bad things happen, they just don't care, and they just keep going. And you'll hear people that waste money and, oh, I'll just get some more money. Or they just don't take care of their car, oh, I'll just get another car. That's how fools look at things. Oh, I'll just fix my house. Or I'll just, uh, I'll just get another spouse if this marriage doesn't work out. That's how fools think. This is not how wise people need to think. Mature people need to think, why do I have so much conflict, and what is causing the conflict? And that's the question James starts with in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And we have had that question, and I have talked with people, and they've had that question. Why am I having so much trouble with conflict around me? And here, all of the you's in this first part English, we have the one word for you, whether it's singular or plural. It's all plural. Okay, so he's talking to a group of people. A church, remember the churches that are scattered abroad? He's talking to you as not as individuals, but as a group. Okay, so why do you as a group, why can't you get along? Because you have quarrels and fights among you. Is it not this? And he poses a question, but he's going to give them, why do they have so much conflict? And here it is, verse 1. Is it not that your passions, your strong desires, are at war within you? <laughs> okay, so I studied that this week, and here's, uh, here's what I come, come up with. Conflict is caused by my desires. I want you to say that with me. Conflict is caused by my desires. Okay, everybody, together. Conflict is caused by my desires. Why do I have you say that? Because I don't want you to remember that. Conflict is caused by your desires. My conflict is caused by my desires. I want to know, all of us want to know, why I have conflict with others. And that's what James starts with, verse 1. Why do we have so much fighting among us? Why is there so much fighting in the Middle East? Why is there so much fighting in this country, in this country, in this country, in this country? Why is it all over the news all the time that there's always someone fighting? Why is there racism and fighting in, in gangs all over our country, in cities? Why can't people get along? Why are marriages breaking up all the time? Why won't people talk to each other even though they're related to each other? Why is there so much conflict around me? Why, am, why is it that when I show up at the family reunion that it's awkward. There's obvious conflict. 
I, we all want to know why we have conflict, and, but we don't want to know the second phrase. I really don't want to know the reason is me. No one has been pleased whenever I bring James 4.1 into the picture, whenever there's two people in my office or I'm in their living room and I say, you guys have a marriage problem. Here's why you struggle with your marriage. Let's look at James 4.1. And they're fine with the first part of the verse and they're not happy with the second part. I really don't want to know that the reason is with me. It's like if you go to the doctor and he says, you are diabetic. You really don't want to hear that if you love donuts or sweets or Halloween candy. You don't really want to hear that because the problem can be, you're going to have this problem probably the rest of your life. It's irreversible, but you can somewhat control it if you will be disciplined. Oh, discipline. No, I want to eat what I want to eat. Okay. You're going to struggle more and more then. So I don't really want to know that the reason that I have conflict around me is it's my fault. Now, as much as James has told us in chapter 1, we should not be surprised by this. Why? Because all of my sin problem is my fault. The reason I sin is not God's fault. It's not other people's fault. I am carried along by my own lust, and when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. If you really, really want something bad enough, you're going to try to get it. And if someone says, no, you cannot have it, you're going to have conflict with that person. Or your boss says, I, you say to them, I really, really want a raise. And they say, no. But I'm doing the work of three people. The answer is still no. And they're not going to give in to your desires. Well, your passions are at war within you. The reason that you have conflict with other people, the reason groups can't get along, is because there is passion, there's strong desires, they're at war. These are military terms. Quarreling, fighting, war, these are all military terms. And you may feel like my life is a battle. It's a constant battle. Parenting is a battle. Being a child of a parent is a battle. Um, In-laws are a battle. Work, boss is a battle. And I just am constantly at war with people around me. You don't really want to know at this, but the reason that you have a lot of conflict and you're having trouble sleeping at night is because you have conflict in you. And that's what James says in the form of a question, but he's really giving us truth. Am I humble enough with this first verse alone to take the blame? If you, your first response to you have conflict in your marriage and you are part of the problem and your first response is, well, she, well, he, you're missing what James is trying to get out here. Take responsibility for your part in the conflict. You have conflict and you're part of the problem. 
That's what James 4.1 says. Because you have strong desires that are not being met. They're at war within you, and it's coming out in quarrels and fights around you. So are you humble enough to take the blame? So if we have a conflict-ridden church, every one of us here at the church, if we allow conflict over pews and, and carpet and lighting and all the other others kind of stuff, um, are we going to allow that to escalate to so that we form sides? There's the red carpet group and there's the blue carpet group and there, whatever. Other. No, that's ridiculous. That's how immature Christians think. This is not how mature believers are going to progress and follow God and the Great Commission. We're distracted by conflict. But we have to be humble enough to take the blame for your part of the quarrels and fights among you. You are not responsible for... You'd love to cast blame on everybody else. And the conflict continues. Verse 2. So that's where my desire... That's how my desires play into the conflict. Pretty simple, but pretty hard pill to swallow. Verses 2 and 3. Conflict grows with my actions. So if I really want something bad enough, I'm going to try to make that what, what I really want to happen. I have a strong desire for a truck. But right now, I am not fighting my wife and constantly arguing with her about, I really must have a truck. The minivan's got to go. i got to get an upgrade, Okay. That's not, that's not where I'm, I want to be with my marriage, okay? So we're in James 4, verses 2 and 3, as our young people are coming back in. So James 4, verses 2 and 3. So we looked at why we have conflict. It's because my desires are wrong. They're at war within me. My desires are too strong. You know, we're raising a generation of children, and if you work in an educational group or interact with kids very much, you'll realize this, that kids do not know how to take no for an answer. They are almost like a deer in the headlights, like, I've never had an adult tell me no in my life, and I'm nine. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You have lived nine years on this earth, and you've never heard no? No. The customer's always right, right? <laughs> no. No, it's not. You need to be told no. And as a Christian, following Jesus Christ, we're first told to deny ourselves. You know what that means? Tell yourself no. You're not going to follow Christ unless you first say, it's not about me. I'm telling myself no. But if you have been told as a child you're always right. Oh, honey, yes, you need more. Yes, you need every single wish, every single pleasure that possibly we can afford. And even if we can't afford it, we'll put it on a credit card because we have to have princess, um, please, no. No, we, we'll have child-centered homes, and the conflict is not going to get better as our kids get older. But we have a lot of conflict in our culture, and the conflict is caused by my desires, and the conflict grows with my actions. So how does James uh, teach us this in verse 2? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now who in the Bible would this remind us of? David? 
Cain, and other murderers in the Bible. Joab uh, murdered Abner. Every murder is caused by extreme conflict. Okay? Someone wants to make a statement or someone wants to show extreme displeasure and everybody's going to know about it. So I'm going to kill someone or some people. This is not unusual. I wish it was, but this is becoming usual news now that there is conflict and conflict. And you watch the nightly news around here, and you'll find that so there, there are people that die all the time on the news. Say, why are there killings around us? Why is there so much conflict? Well, people have strong desires that are not being met. They're not taking no for an answer. And their strong desires are leading them to think, I will have this. No one tells me no. I'm going to get it. Even if I have to kill someone to get this, I'm going to get it. That's what verse 2 says. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What's the asking there? It has to be talking about God because the context verse 3 is going to talk about talking to God in prayer. All right, so here has, is how the conflict grows. You have a strong desire. Continue my illustration with a truck. I have a strong desire for a truck. I tell my wife, honey, we've got to go into debt for a truck. She says, no, we just got a house, and we're still renovating this house. We don't have extra money right now for a truck, but I must have my truck, honey. Okay, you don't understand. Like you have to have certain things as a lady, like a hutch or other things, and I have to have a truck to be a man, right? And and I can convince myself over time, and I can look at trucks on the internet. I can drive by dealerships and test drive trucks, and you know what's going to happen. All that my desire is going to grow. It becomes a monster desire. Everything. All of you men who have trucks, I'm like, oh, they got a truck before me. <laughs> and uh, and you guys know that have trucks that have gotten a truck in the last couple of years. Like, hey, how's your truck? Oh man, you got a nice truck. You can tell that I have a desire for a truck by how I talk to you about your truck. But rest assured, I'm not planning to kill any of you and take your truck. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. Okay, but that's what James 4.2 says. This desire can grow so strong that if I don't get what I want, I'm going to make everyone around me miserable and make my wife miserable until she gives in. Fine, just go get it. We'll just put it on payments and, and uh, hope we can make the payment. And uh, this would be a horrible marriage um, destroyer. My idolatrous desires. Now, when we use the word idol... All of the Old Testament pictures of idolatry, like Baal worship, Ashtoreth, Molech, where they offered human sacrifices, all of that should come into play. Because when I want something so bad that I will displease God to get it, it's an idol. And whenever I'm contemplating murder to get what I really want, there are people that I know of 
that are contemplating how to get rid of my spouse. As a Christian, you can't divorce. So, but if she dies or he dies, huh, then I'm free to remarry. So how do I make it look like an accident? Oh, <laughs> this is not where we want to be. But you can have a, such a strong desire for my problems in life are all boiled down to one common denominator, and that's my spouse. And if I got rid of my spouse, I'd have a better life. No, you won't. That's a lie. And you're thinking life is about me. And my spouse is telling me no a lot. And so she or he must be eliminated. But why is it that we call it idolatry? Is because we're going to find out later. Uh, God calls it adultery. But here, anytime that we are willing to disobey God, murdering disobeys God, coveting disobeys God, fighting and quarreling disobeys God, all of that doesn't give God glory. So we covet, cannot obtain, we fight and quarrel, and if it's strong enough, we'll even commit murder so that we can get what we really want to fulfill our desires. My idolatrous desires grow when I covet, fight, kill, and do not pray. It says there at the end of verse 2, because you do, you do not have, because you do not ask. Okay? So, I, and I... My truck can be an idol. I don't have one yet, but if I, if I allow it to, I can think almost exclusively about trucks. I can come here to church looking at other people's. I can go home this afternoon, and I can look on the Internet, and my desire is going to keep growing and growing till I spend way more time meditating day and night about this truck. And if God gave it to me when I had that kind of idolatrous relationship with a truck, if my kids ever spilled something, if I did get a truck, if my kids ever spilled something in the truck, I'd go ballistic. If I ever got a scratch on my little God, I'd go ballistic. Why? Because my truck's an idol, and I want to protect my truck because I did so much effort to get it. And now that I have it, I've got to protect it. I've got to keep it clean. I've got to keep it running. I've got to keep rust off of it. All these things, and I'm consumed still with my idol. And that's just a truck. You can have a person that you have that's an idol in your life. You can have a thing. You can have a house. You can have, you just want free time. If you're a parent of little children and you say, I don't have hardly any free time. And when I do have free time, I'm asleep on the couch because I can't stay awake. I'm so tired. So free time, time is extremely valuable. But if I, as a very busy person, if I look at my free time as mine, this is my time, I'm guarding my time, then I'm not going to like it if you text me during my free time. I'm not going to tell, and I'm going to be quick to say, hey, yeah, you called me on my day off. Like, well, I don't know what your day off is. It's not like you have an eight to five job, you're a pastor, right? So you can take any day off you want, right? And uh, sometimes flexible with my day off uh, during the week, but we guard our time. We, whatever you guard and think about, meditate on, that can be an idol. And if someone takes over, someone ruins part of what you think is so important that you have to have, and it causes a fight, it causes a quarrel. Quarrels and fights reveal what's in your heart. It reveals that you have an idol there. 
and your idolatrous desires can grow whenever I covet what other people have. Look at how much free time they have. Man, and I'm going to fight to get more free time. I'm going to give people a death look if they mess up my free time. And we're not praying. We're not thinking about God at all in this equation. God knows what our desires are. Is it wrong to want free time? No. Is it wrong to want a truck? No. But it's wrong for those things to take over the place of God. And if, you're, if you have really an idol like this, strong desire it causes the quarrels and conflict in relationships. It destroys relationships. Verse 3, it's also destroying your relationship with God. Look at verse 3 with me. You ask, that's in prayer. So if I really want a truck, I'm saying, God, you know I really want a truck. I could use this to help people. It will use me to help help me to get stuff to, from Home Depot to my house. I uh, use uh, to haul firewood and uh, all kinds of other ideas I have for a truck. Uh, God, you got to give this to me. I'll use it for you uh, some. And uh, we, we talk like this to God in prayer. That God, I, I really want this desire. And if you're single today, you really, some of you really have a strong desire to be married. You're like, God, I need, I need a spouse. I need a spouse. And you tell them every day, I need a spouse. I need a spouse. Some of you that are married say, I don't need a spouse. I don't need a spouse. God, I don't need a spouse. <laughs> and I have conflict. And you... Based on how we talk to God shows whether or not we are in right relationship with God and others. Our conflict will keep growing if we think, okay, God can provide me this. He is able. I hope he's willing. I'm going to tell him he's willing, and he's going to give me this, and I'm going to keep asking and persistently pray to God that he will give me the strong desire that I have. But if it's an idolatrous desire, don't expect God to answer that prayer. It's like people worshiping Baal. God, help us to worship Baal. Help weather to be good as we go to the sacrifice of Baal today. You can imagine Israelite God, or people praying that. You'd say, that's ridiculous praying. But that's what happened. And that's how we can look at our idols. God, help no rust to come on my truck. Yep. And uh, help me to get this truck fixed and help this truck to run well and Help my neighbor not to back into my truck, or whatever that we think. Everything is around our idol. And this grows when I covet, fight, and kill, and I do not pray, and it even affects my prayer life. My conflict grows when I proudly ask, proudly is the key word there, proudly ask God to fulfill my idolatrous desires. And you can pray to God and say, God, I'm so tired, I just want some free time. Please give me some free time. And you'll use that free time on yourself. You had an extra hour last night. And most of us tired adults would say, oh, extra hour of sleep. So good. Others say, sweet, I'll change my clock early and I'll stay up to when I normally would have went to bed. And I have more free time. Or whatever, how you spent your hour, it's, it's between you and God. But your conflict with others as a group, as a family, as relationships can be strained when you proudly ask God to fulfill your idolatrous desires. Look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Why doesn't God answer your prayer? For 
this strong desire that you have. If it's not a sin, then obviously he's not going to help you to cheat on your wife. Okay, He's not going to help you to cover your sin like David tried to cover his sin in the Old Testament. He's not going to help you uh, do that. But if you have a desire that's not a sin, but it's grown to idolatrous proportions, and you ask God for it, to enjoy it, to keep it safe, whatever it is, to help you guard it, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. How do you pray wrongly so that you can just spend it on your passions? You know, some Christians really want a lake house, and God gives them a lake house. And we don't see them for six months on Sundays because they have a lake house. Is it wrong to have a lake house? No. It's not wrong to have a lake house. I've been to people's lake houses. They're nice. you using your lake house for the glory of God. Yes, you meet more neighbors. Yes, all those are good things. But you can... I mean, I could get a truck that's a four-wheeler truck, and I can go four-wheeling. Like, someone can sub for me on Sunday, right? You're going to miss me. Okay, if I'm not here. Um, I, can't, I can't avoid Sunday. But I can neglect work uh, to, if I have idolatrous desires. And I can ask God for them, and he won't answer my prayer because he's wise, and he's good, and he's holy, he's pure. And he knows why we ask what we ask. So you better examine your motives when you pray. Because if you're asking for an idolatrous desire, so you can just spend it on your passions, and your passion's going to increase with this. The dominating thoughts and, and, um, and desires will grow in you if, you actually, if God gives you what you really want. And your wife or, or your spouse may know this. Your parents may know this and say, you know what? No, this is not a good time for you to have this strong desire met. Because if, I, if you did have this, they'd become, it would become an idol. And God knows that. So check your praying. Because your praying most likely is influenced by your strong passions. It's not wrong to have desires. We all have desires. But the conflict grows with you and other people around you when I proudly ask God to fulfill my idolatrous desires. So, question for us. Am I humble yet to see that the conflict around me is my fault? All of the focus of verses 1 through 3, you have conflict around you, you plural, and you plural have conflict around you in your group. Because we have inside of us strong desires that are not being met. And we're not getting it. And James is saying, your sin is why you have conflict. Go back to James 1 and see how that lust, strong desire, passions grow to be sin. And sin, when it's finished, produces death. And there are many marriages that have died because of strong, idolatrous desires. And there's many parent-child relationships that are all but disintegrated because of conflict that could not be resolved. And God does not...
pleased when that happens. He does not want that to happen with you or your family or any group that you are in. He doesn't want that to happen here as a church and minimize our effectiveness here and let's just fight over everything and uh, we won't be a healthy place and no one will want to come visit us. No one will want to stay and everyone who's here is going to try to find out how to leave. This is not going to be how we want our church. But we have to individually say, am I humble yet to see that the conflict around me is my fault? You say, but it is mostly someone else's fault. That's okay. Do you have any? If you have 1% responsibility, if you've added to the conflict in any way, shape, or form, then you deal with your, your problem first. And that would be Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. Pluck out the beam that's in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help someone with a speck. And Jesus never says, pluck out the speck out of your eye so you can help someone else with the beam. You know why he doesn't say that? Because to us, all of our sin and our conflict is a beam. And everyone else in the group that's causing the conflict as well, helping to keep the fire going, Everyone else's problem, to me, is a speck. Study Matthew 3 to 5, and it will humble you to think every conflict that I have with anyone, anytime, is primarily, this is how you have to think, is primarily my fault. And once you deal with that biblically, and we'll talk about it uh, this the end of this lesson, and um, end of this message, and next week on the solution, but conflict requires Humility, and we'll see that uh, from the book of Proverbs. So we have to be humble, or we're going to keep adding to the conflict. The reason conflict grows is pride is the primary fuel for the conflict. You, two humble people cannot have conflict. If you're really humble, you're going to have a hard time having conflict, even with a proud person. Because if and you may have to avoid them. But if you came up to me and said, your suit coat, it's dark blue, your suit coat is green, I would say, I'm not going to stand out here and argue with you. It's blue. No, it's green. It's green. You can do that all day, but I've, uh, eventually, I've, I've two times maybe I'm going to say, you're either colorblind or you're just messing with me. Okay, So I'm not going to be messed with. And I'll say, that's fine. I'll let you think it's green. And I'll go, I'll go on to something else, someone else. If you want to sit there and argue with me, if you want to follow me down till I get coffee, if you want to follow me ever, that's up to you. But I'm not going to let you bother me to think that this is great. I'm not going to get into a big argument. You can't convince me against the truth. And you can have arguments religious, religiously with people that, hey, Jesus was just a man. And you may have a neighbor or a friend or someone come knock at your door and say, uh, we're here to promote Bible reading and talking to them, you find out that they believe Jesus was just a man. You don't have to try to win an argument with someone that you say, no, Jesus was God and man. Well, I disagree. And you look at these verses. And they want to argue with you. Okay. And they want to get you riled up. You don't have to get riled up. They can believe things that are not true about Jesus. And that breaks our heart when people around us don't believe the truth about Christ. But winning an argument is not the biggest deal. But for proud people, it is. It's okay to allow someone else to be right or wrong, and we don't have to have it escalate. If it escalates, 
then I have a problem. I have a desire problem that is too big, and I need to be humbled to see that the conflict around me is my fault. All right, verse 4. Now here's God's view of the conflict, and this isn't a flattering thing that, that God says to us. You adulterous people. That's not idolatrous, as in an idol. Adulterous means unfaithful to me. He's talking to Christians who are unfaithful to him. Why are they unfaithful to him? Or how does God come to this conclusion in verse 4? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does that have to do with conflict? Conflict starts in the heart. So does wisdom at the end of chapter 3. Remember the bitter jealousy and envying? The selfish ambition? It causes us to not get God's wisdom. We don't have God's wisdom. Conflict will come. And a group that doesn't have God's wisdom is going to be a group that's going to be marked by chaos and every vile practice. And when you have that, you're going to have a lot of fighting and quarreling and murdering and coveting and lack of praying or uh, distorted praying. And all the while, God is not pleased to the point where he says emphatically, you guys are adulterers. You should be in love with me and you're in love with something else. And the world's going to give you all kinds of things. I can watch football this afternoon, and you know what they show on football commercials? Trucks. <laughs> you can see how trucks keeps coming back. Because that's, my strong, that's, a, that's a desire that I have. But that desire has to be checked with does it please God? Would God say to me, if he was talking to me and evaluating my desire for a truck right now, would he say, John, you are an adulterer. You love the things of this world more than you love me. And Jesus would say, you're not worthy of me. So God's view of our idolatrous desires that have grown, that they are the cause for our wars and fights among you. They are the reason that we're not getting our prayers answered. We're not having good relationships with people. We have constant conflict around us, and it's our fault. And God says you guys are adulterers. You have believed lies of Satan. You believe the lies of the world, the lust of your flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You believe your own wicked, deceitful heart. And you have conflict around you because you love the world and you're an enemy of God. Now, any Christian who hears those words from an all-knowing God should be crushed by their sin, should not be pleased with themselves. So whenever we have conflict with others and the conflict grows, you are an adulterer if you allow it to keep going. Now, there are some people that will not be right with you because they don't like you. That's okay. Christ had a lot of people that were not right with him, and he was not an adulterer. He's not an idolater. Uh, he was right with God. So that doesn't guarantee that we're all never going to have uh, 
a lack of conflict with people. But we can be right with God and we can be as much as lies within us to live peaceably with all men. We can be right with God and others. Even if, um, and God would not say to us, you are adulterous people. My idolatrous desires are actually adultery against God with the world. So I'm running around dating the world while I'm supposed to be married to God. And my wife would never be pleased if Friday night I said to her, honey, we're married, we have a great marriage, but I'm going to go date somebody else tonight. She'd say, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) And I would do the same thing for her. She's not dating anyone else. She's not available. That's adultery or the beginning stages of adultery. But my idolatrous desires, when unmet and they keep growing, God says, from my perspective, you guys as Christians, married to Christ, waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation, you are adulterers with me. You're unfaithful to God. Wow, that is hard, another hard pill to swallow. But this is to help shock us to say, conflict shows a lot about us. It shows that we have wrong desires, wrong motives, wrong um, passions, uh, wrong gods, and a wrong view of the world and our God. And all those things, God's word has solutions to. And we'll see the solution, Lord willing, next week, starting in verse 6. Verse 5, my idolatrous choices. This is a very hard verse to translate, and the New King James, King James, differs uh, pretty significantly from our ESV. And I'll try to explain it uh, briefly here. But my idolatrous choices cause God to be jealous of what is his. Jealousy is not a bad thing because our God is jealous and he's perfect. So going back to the marriage illustration, if I am married to my wife, I'm going to be jealous for her. No one looks at my wife. No one asks my wife out on a date without going through me first. And I'm always going to say no. Nope, (laughs) she's not going with you. Why? Because she's my wife. I'm jealous of her. I'm going to protect her. And she, vice versa for me. I wear this ring so I can tell the whole world I am not available. Don't look at me like I'm available, like we got a, a, a chance. No, there's no chance. I got a wing, and I this ring attaches me to her. And um, I'm not even thinking about it, not going to. And our our discipleship here um, of men to men, women to women, should be you should be checking with each other about how your marriage is doing. There are guys and 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 ladies that can be living together, but they are coveting other people's spouses, which is breaking the Tenth Commandment, and uh, into pornography and other things that really is breaking your marriage uh, vow and needs to be confronted. Well, God confronts us here, and he says that I gave you um, a spirit. Now, this is probably not the Holy Spirit, but if you have a new King James or King James, even the NAS, you'll see capitalized spirit, but probably not the best translation because... Nowhere else does James refer to the Holy Spirit in his book, Um, not that he doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't teach on it. Um, And so uh, with that and with the the context, it's probably best to say, okay, so God is jealous over us with the Spirit, and the Spirit that he placed in us is our soul, 
what makes us spiritual beings. Man became a living being back in the Garden of Eden. And man is different than all the other animals. You know why God put a soul in us? So that we can have a relationship with him. And when we don't have a relationship with him, we are not enjoying why God made us spiritual beings. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 6, 7. It also says this as well, that when we know Christ, we have a intimate connection with our God, a God-designed connection to him. And I don't think spirit in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 should be capitalized either, and the ESV doesn't have it capitalized. But this is the same idea that uh, James brings out in his verse 5. All right, so when, this is talking about uh, immorality, but verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 6 says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There's intimacy. So this, the, what makes us alive, what makes us alive to God is our soul. When our soul is free from sin at the moment of our salvation, we have access and we have a relationship with God that makes us one flesh with God. And that uh, spirit in us causes us, that is God's gift to us in creation, is God's redemption of in salvation, and is our uh, strong connection to our God. And God yearns jealously, just like uh, a spouse is going to be very jealous for their mate. Um, God, even more so, yearns jealousy so that we would be faithful to him. And he made our spirit, our soul, to that he has made to dwell within us in creation, to be in right relationship with him. And that is the idea of... Um, and there's not an actual verse that James is quoting, but he's referring to scripture about, and the scripture he's probably referring to creation. In Genesis uh, 2, the man became a living being, living soul, and man has a relationship with God after that. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 17 uh, helps us understand that a little more. So my idolatrous choices cause God to be jealous of what is his. What is his? My body. All of my being belongs to God. So I have to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Why? Because all of my heart, soul, and mind belongs to God. Why do I belong to God? And I'll tell all the world this. You belong to God. They say, I don't belong to anybody. You belong to God because God created you. Uh, did you create yourself? You're in a laboratory? I'm going to create me. Clone. Da, 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 da. And I created myself. No, you're not going to do that. You didn't decide when you were going to be born. God decided that. He's your creator. So you belong to God because you're a creator. And for believers, you can say God saved you. You belong to God twice. He bought you with his blood and he, he created you. So we, all of us belong to God. Not just a little part of our life, not just Sunday morning at 10.30 to 11.45. That's not what, God, what belongs to God. All of us, our whole being, all of our time belongs to him. So if I want to say, God, you can have some of my life, but I'm going to keep this for me. And I'm going to do things with this part of my life that you may or may not be pleased with, but it does not matter, God. And if you do that with your life, you're going to have conflict in this little area. 
And probably it's going to filter over into the rest of your life. Because you are an idolater, adulterous, at heart person. And God has revealed to us from the book of James that the reason we have quarrels and fights is that we are not right with God. We have a sin problem in our heart. We have a coveting problem. We all struggle with coveting. No one has perfectly mastered coveting. We all want what other people have. We try to figure out how to get it. Uh, we try to ask God and manipulate him to try to get it. And God's telling us the whole time, you're not faithful to me. You don't have my wisdom at the end of chapter 3. And it's obvious that you don't because there's quarrels and fights among you. There's so much conflict and it never was supposed to be this way. So if conflict around me is sin, then I must agree with God and repent of idolatry and adultery. I'm going to read one verse for you in Proverbs. And I had a pastor one time who tried to help. He was a counselor, helped a lot of people. He said, you're in listening to them argue in front of him. He said, I think I can help you with one verse. Here it is, Proverbs 13, 10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10 is so incredibly simple and yet profound. It says, by insolence or pride, arrogance. By insolence and pride comes nothing but strife. If you eliminate the fuel, the fire goes out. If you eliminate the pride, there's no more conflict. It is that simple. Proverbs 13.10, if you want to write that down. But if it is a sin, if I cause the conflict to start or to grow or continue, it's a sin. But if it's a sin, then I know what to do with sin as a Christian. Because our God is faithful and just, if we confess our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we go before our God, humbled by what we learn from the book of James, humbled by the conflict around us that we have added to. We know why we added to it now. We know what's causing it. It's coming from within. It's coming out of our loose lips. And it's, it's causing the conflict to keep going. Or we just don't say anything. And uh, we know, people around us know that you're, you're trying to avoid me. What's going on? And uh, I'm just trying to deal with conflict. Well, this isn't how we deal with conflict, avoiding people. We need to talk about it. And uh, if, there need, if there's sin that's undealt with, we need to confess and forsake it. Assume, though, when we try to deal with conflict, that I have, some, I have something wrong. I try to assume now that whenever I have conflict with someone, I've done something wrong. That helps to resolve conflict. Because I probably do do things wrong. Because I have strong desires in me that I really want, things I want to accomplish, and sometimes people get in the way. And um, it just shows that I have still struggle with idolatry. So if conflict around me is my sin, then I must agree with God. I am an adulterer. I am an idolater. And I repent. And when you repent, now you're on the path of destroying conflict and resolving conflict. And if you need help with that, please let me know. I have a good book to recommend you that we studied in Sunday school. Um, and very helpful of the steps and all a bigger picture than what we could look at today. But there's a solution. 
that God's going to give us uh, in verses 6 and following that we read in our scripture reading that we'll study next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Our Father, we're very needy people. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that it's our fault that we have conflict or that conflict continues. We don't like to say we're sorry for our bad attitude, our pride. We don't like to think of ourselves as coveting or even capable of murder. We don't like to think of ourselves as wanting things that you don't want us to have right now. We don't like to think of ourselves as idolaters and adulterers to you. I pray that the truth that we heard this morning sink deep into our hearts as believers and our desperate need for you to resolve conflict and to keep us close to you and how quickly we can uh, go away from you and embrace idols. I pray for those here today who don't know you yet, that their conflict is going to continue to increase until they know you, the God of all peace, Christ, the Prince of Peace, and I pray that you would uh, convince them today that they don't have a relationship with you. Thank you so much for Christ and how he has uh, showed us how to walk with you, how to be free from sin, and how to restore uh, conflict, and I pray that uh, you would do this for your glory and not just so that we'd have easier lives. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.